0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney welcome to
1: another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am kira mulvaney and eric it's unfortunate timing look normally you know we we generally record on sunday afternoon-ish kind of thing by and large that means that we get most of the news that we need to get very little breaks right after we've recorded before the podcast actually posts on a monday morning but last week was an exception right between in that window news broke of what is clearly already the most important fight the biggest boxing event of 2021 i am of course talking about floyd mayweather logan paul and we just didn't have a chance to 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 break it down unfortunately
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really a shame, uh, the, the way the timing worked out there. But, I mean, now we know about the fight. Uh, I, I guess we ought to discuss it on this week's podcast.
1: Oh, no, sorry, time is up. Uh, there's definitely uh, a statute of limitations. And, um, you know, it's a week old now. I think it's far too old and musty. It's covered in cobwebs already. <laughs> we missed the opportunity. I think we should just move on.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're, you're probably right. We, uh, we missed the window. Drat! I but, oh what a shame still you know we
1: must we must deal with these slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and all of that but still onward we go uh because we do actually have plenty to look forward to on this week's episode uh we have a showtime triple header from saturday night to look back on a showtime triple header next week look ahead to. Uh, We'll also take a look at upcoming bouts involving Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. And we'll talk with Derek James, the trainer of Jamel Charlo and of Errol Spence following Spence's big win over Danny Garcia last week. But first, let us climb aboard a virtual airplane and travel... All the way to London, shall we?
0: Those are the only kind of airplanes I'll be climbing aboard these (laughs) days. Uh, Yes, uh, London indeed. Uh, You were there, Kieran, a little over three years ago when Anthony Joshua knocked out Vladimir Klitschko in front of 90,000 fans at Wembley Stadium. It was a little different on Saturday night, and not just because you weren't there. There were just 1,000 spectators at nearby Wembley Arena due to COVID restrictions. But they did a pretty good job making noise as Joshua knocked down Kubrat Pulev four times and route to a ninth round knockout. With the victory, Joshua moves to 24-1 and with 22 KOs and retains his heavyweight belts. Kieran, what did you think about Joshua's performance? And do you feel any different now about his chances against Tyson Fury if, as expected, those two clash next year? So you can have a glass half full
1: or a glass half empty way of looking at this, of course. I mean, the glass half full one is that he won basically every round against an experienced and undeniably tricky opponent. Um, You know, he controlled the fight with a jab. He rarely, if ever, looked troubled, Joshua. He didn't take any unnecessary risks. Uh, And when he saw an opening, uh, he took advantage of it. He really sort of exploded, you know, uh, with those power punches. Then he Like you said, he knocked him down four times and he finished him off. So that's the glass half full. Uh, The glass half empty is that he, you know, maybe looked a little tentative at times. Maybe he was fighting a bit too much within himself. It feels as if maybe he's a little bit caught between styles that he's Mm -hmm. trying to refine and and, and round out and develop his style. um, Partly because... You know, he he feels he can't just be trying to blow people out at the top level. And partly because that's when he does that of late, he's been getting hit and knocked down and in one instance stopped himself. So, um, you know, you mentioned Vladimir Klitschko and there were actually a couple of moments in that fight where I thought that maybe Joshua post Andy Ruiz might be turning into Klitschko post layman Brewster. Right? Efficient, effective far less exciting, far less willing to take risks. Um, It's perhaps a little unfair. Perhaps it's a bit of an oversimplification. I do think that he's not necessarily settled on this ultra-cautious style, but that he is still trying to sort of add wrinkles. And um, the, The way he said to Eddie Hearn when they were talking to Gareth Davies afterwards that, he clearly didn't. When Nettie said something about him coming back in five or six months, he was like, Really? I, I want to fight before that. Which right. does suggest that, you know, added to the COVID layoff and everything, he, he does want, you know, to to work on things a little bit more. Um and also to be fair, I thought that Klitschko immediately post-Brewster looked terrified every time an opponent looked like landing on him. And Joshua didn't. I mean, he he was cautious and he but he he dealt quite well, I thought, with what little offense Pulev did. Uh, throw Mm uh I did think that both men looked a bit too comfortable in there with each other for the fight there was a bit too much smiling and talking going on in there I thought and they both kind of settled into a pattern that worked for them both Pulev you know not necessarily trying to win trying not to lose and and Joshua kind of getting in there quite comfortable but look in the end the fact that he got the stoppage made all the difference if he'd allowed Pulev to make it through 12 after that third round when he knocked him down twice i think there'd have been a lot of questions as it is he got the ko win uh, as for the fury question if i'm tyson fury i probably don't see a great deal to worry me I, joshua is thinking in the ring quite a lot now and and against somebody for whom everything appears to be very natural and effortless like yep. fury that has the potential to be really problematic. If anything, I might even make Fury a little bit of a bigger favorite than I did before Saturday, actually.
0: Yeah, well, I'll get to my thoughts on on the Fury fight in a sec, but just to talk specifically about this performance against Pulev. Uh, I, like you, I kind of do a little glass half full, a little glass half empty. I kind of see it both ways. I guess, ultimately, you got to say all's well that ends well. Uh, he took care of business. Got the knockout. How hard can you be on the guy after that? Um, But for better or worse, like you, I don't think he's totally over what happened in the first Andy Ruiz fight. He's a little twitchy and flinchy at times. Uh, But again, I said for better or for worse, there is a possible upside to all that. And you mentioned Vladimir Klitschko. Lennox Lewis is the other one you think of as an example of a guy who put together a Hall of Fame career by being a bit or a lot cautious in certain situations against certain opponents. Uh, So I'm not sure if it's a bad thing, if Anthony Joshua is hesitant to take punches, Uh, but it definitely is and will be frustrating in spots as a viewer to see him fight the way he did in some of these middle rounds. I mean, he had Pulev pretty much out in round three. He did spend round three trying hard to get the finish. I can't knock him for the way he fought round three didn't get the finish that's fine he tried but then he didn't really go after him at all the next couple of rounds he forgot all about the uppercut uh yeah. gee you know why why keep throwing the punch that was hurting pulev every time it landed <laughs> um and so he let pulev hang around and so i tweeted in i think it was the fifth round if joshua doesn't get the ko it's a stain on his record hmm. i stand by that it would have been um he got the ko it lo- looked great in round nine finished pulev off. He was patient and found his opening well done. No stain at all. It goes down as a good win, but I'm just bracing for a fair amount of frustration going forward, uh, wondering mm. from fight to fight. And even from moment to moment with, within a fight, I'm going to be wondering if Joshua is maximizing his physical gifts. Um, interesting CompuBox note from Dan Canobio on Twitter Uh Outside of the two big rounds, three and nine, I I guess from your chuckle, you saw this. Um, Outside of those two big rounds, three and nine, Joshua landed 16 power shots in seven rounds. That's not great. Uh, Two power shots landed per round in those rounds, basically. Uh, So I say good win. I give him a B plus, but I have concerns. Um, And in terms of a Fury fight, uh, the betting odds... Reflect that concern and reflect exactly what you said about it. Uh, John Murray of the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook uh, tweeted that coming off the win for Joshua, he was adjusting the odds to make Fury more of a favorite. And that is totally logical to me, actually, based on what I saw from Joshua. Uh, He now has Fury minus 280 and Joshua plus 240. And I like that price on Fury. Mm. Uh, Joshua's favorite against any other heavyweight, but I have. A hard time seeing him beat fury especially with his current mentality and approach yeah agreed agreed well let's hope we get to find out of course yes
1: um before we get to saturday showtime card there was one other notable card on saturday on espn from the mgm grand bubble their last bubble card of 2020 uh it was an eventful broadcast actually on four fights uh, worth touching on. So let's hit more quickly. Uh, the least interesting result of the four was actually the main event. Uh, Shakur Stevenson shutting out Toka Khan over 10 rounds. You said last week that you were hoping to see a knockout from Stevenson. It didn't come. So how satisfied are you with what you saw out of the undefeated 130-pounder?
0: No, he didn't get the knockout, but that was largely because his opponent came to survive, not to win. So I'll give Stevenson a pass. Can't be too dissatisfied with a 10-0 shutout. If I'm criticizing anything, it's the matchmaking. Um, But I like what Shakur is mapping out for himself uh, around the corner. Frampton Herring winner in the first half of the year. That's a good step up. And he'll be a big favorite, I think, over either of those guys. And Burchelt, second half of the year. That's the real test. And it's 50-50-ish in my view. And uh, by the way, just a, a quick correction. I said last week that Stevenson is not ranked at 126 pounds by the TBRB. And the reason is because he moved up to 130. Uh, So yeah, I got a little mixed up on that. I would assume he'll enter the top 10 at 130 now off of this win. Let's go. It's the most All-Star studded challenge ever, and this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best
2: challenge ever.
0: The Challenge All-Stars, new season now streaming on Paramount Plus. Go to paramountplus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Um, moving along with the ESPN card, the co-feature provided a dramatic upset. Masayoshi Nakatani, previously known for giving teofimo Lopez a tough fight over the distance, Got up from two early knockdowns to drop and stop former mega prospect Felix Verdejo in round nine. What's the bigger story to you coming out of this? The toughness and heart of Nakatani or the collapse of Verdejo? I think we need to give props to Nakatani. Um,
1: you mentioned the Teofimo Lopez fight, and a lot of people were ready to write Lopez off after that, um, mm-hmm. or, or at least to you know put him back a little bit. I, I'm pleased to say I, I wasn't one of them, because I figured at the time that Nakatani was just the kind of opponent it might be very difficult to look good against. Um, but after Saturday night, I think even that might have been a little unfair to Nakatani. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, look, I think a lot of credit is due to, to him for hanging in there, showing strength and resilience to come back. He'd lost virtually every round. Um, I think this was just a good fight. Um, somebody's got to lose a good fight. I don't know that we need to be too hard on Verdejo here. Uh, it's it's clear, and it's been clear for a while, that the days of whenever it was five or so years ago, when some, like myself, were proclaiming him <laughs> as having like Sugar Ray Leonardish potential, right. are far in the past, and were clearly unfair to him and 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 in some ways maybe this was a tougher loss for fidejo to take because you know when he went off the boil earlier it was largely because he wasn't training he wasn't focused he was taking everything for granted he had that motorcycle accident um you know he's living that sloppy life this was a loss in a fight he was winning in a period in which to all by all accounts he's really rededicated himself to training you know like this wasn't necessarily one he could blame on himself he just got beat in this but You know, maybe you can criticize his fight management, perhaps his stamina for letting Nakatani, you know, come back at him. But I don't know. I think sometimes you win fights, sometimes you lose fights. And personally, I think Nakatani won this more than the lost it. And I think we should be paying attention to Nakatani myself. Fair enough. Um, Also on that ESPN card, uh, two of the big 2020 bubble stories went in opposite directions. Edgar Berlanga ran his first-round knockout streak to 16 in a row by dropping Ulysses Sierra three times in two minutes and 40 seconds. And Kay Collard, uh, fighting for the sixth time this year, fell short in his bid to go 6-0 and zero and to secure some fighter of the year honorable mention recognition. Uh, he lost an eight-round unanimous decision to Quincy Chico
0: Lavallee. Uh, thoughts on Berlanga and Collard? So Berlanga, look eventually he will regret not getting in rounds and experience yeah. and you know like most punchers he'll lose and we'll all say he was quote unquote exposed but in the meantime enjoy the ride uh, this yeah. is fun it's fun to root for him to beat the clock in round one uh this guy is a pure puncher what a great marketing hook the ko1 streak is for however much longer it lasts as for collard yeah kind of a shame. Um he was going to see his name among the honorable mentions for fighter of the year. That would have been pretty darn cool for a guy like him. Uh, you know, it occurs to me that his 2020 was the opposite of everyone else's. While the rest of the world was down, he was riding high. And now, as we enter 2021 with some hope, the clay collared party is over. Aye. All right, let's get to the final big card of the past weekend to recap the one on the home network at the fight sphere at the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, the triple header on Showtime Boxing Special Edition opened with an odd one. Uh, Ronald Ellis, who weighed in five pounds heavy for his 161 pound contest with Matt Korobov, but the fight went ahead, got the win, but in an extremely anticlimactic manner, frankly, Ellis was just playing lucky to get a win Mm -hmm. on this night. I thought the veteran Korobov was soundly outboxing. Ellis seemed in almost complete control to me. I had him up 40 to 36 through four rounds, as did Showtime Steve Farhood and one of the official judges, while another judge had it 39, 37, and the third had it even 38, 38. But in the closing seconds of round four, Korobov stepped back awkwardly and came away hobbling, and he retired between the fourth and fifth rounds with what was announced as an injured Achilles. So the result officially goes into the books as a TKO five for Ellis. Nothing against Ellis, but it seemed a bit off to me for him to be whooping it up and celebrating. It felt like he should be going with measured relief over triumphant exuberance in that spot. In any case, you have to feel awful for Korobov. His previous outing ended after two rounds when he injured his shoulder against Chris Eubank Jr. And now this. Uh, So, Kieran, is the big story here, the fact that at 38 years old, Matt Korobov's body is just breaking down? I think
1: so, isn't it? Look,
0: I agree with you. Ellis was very, very lucky here.
1: Um, He showed terrible discipline in weighing in so heavily, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially with all the talk he'd said about, oh, I'm really looking forward to weighing in at 160, which is lighter than I normally do, because then I'll just rehydrate to 172, which in and of itself didn't sound like a very disciplined way to approach the whole thing. Um, After, you know, a sequence of fairly poor outings on Showtime, he had a lot at stake here. And to respond with that kind of pressure Preparation, I think, reflects very poorly on him. Uh, and I agree with you; he was losing the fight. I thought it wasn't an exciting fight. It wasn't a good fight in a way. I'm glad we didn't have to watch ten rounds of it. But Korobov was the sharper, was the faster, was the more accurate, and, and it just didn't seem to be doing a very great deal of anything. um But to look at Korobov's face, he's 38 going on 60. um <laughs> right. He's got a lot of he's a lot of mileage on that odometer. He had a long amateur career before he turned professional. Um, Look, one injury stoppage might be unfortunate, but we flagged it last week. Two in a row is a pattern. And, you know, and if his Achilles is gone, he's out for a while. Mm -hmm. What's he going to be like when he comes back? Who's going to take a risk on him also, to be honest, because if you think there's a danger of him breaking down, if that's starting to happen, his body is telling him, Matt Korobov, you've had a very good career. Uh, it's probably time to find you know something a little bit easier on your body as a way to earn your living going forward. Um, I think it's probably the end of Matt Korobov, but Ronald Ellis needed to show us something to show us there's a reason for us to stick with him, and I don't think he did that either on Saturday night. I I, I don't know how likely it is will see either of these guys on TV anytime soon. Right.
0: The wait is over. The shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to
2: the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down. Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The shy
0: new episodes now streaming. Visit paramountplus.com slash the shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.
1: Uh, and the co-main event. Richardson Hitchens remained unbeaten with a decision of a veteran, Agenis Mendez over 10 rounds of junior welterweight action. Mendes had his moments... But surely not enough to earn a 97-93 win, which is how Don Ackerman scored it. Uh, Fortunately, Glenn Feldman and Steve Weisfeld overruled him. Feldman scored it 99-91 Hitchens and Weisfeld scored it 98-92, which is, of course, by definition, the correct (laughs) score. Um, Weisfeld back on his game, I think, a little bit uh, uh, after slight wobbles earlier in the the post-COVID phase. Uh, Eric... Uh, Some thoughts on Ackerman's scorecard, but also more importantly, without dwelling on that too much, your thoughts on Hitchens' progress as as shown on Saturday night.
0: Right. Yeah. To hit the scoring quickly, I I had it 97-93 Hitchens myself. I have a hard time seeing it much, if any, closer than that. Uh, You'll recall I said last week that if either fighter was more than a two-to-one underdog, I would be inclined to bet on that fighter. Turns out DraftKings had Mendez at 6-1, to one, so I had to jump on it. So I would have benefited from two Don Ackerman <laughs> scorecards instead of just one, but I still didn't want to see it happen. That that would have been an outrage. That is a really lousy one for Ackerman. I don't know how he can defend that. And he also had Lubin Gachet 115-113 in a fight. The rest of us saw Lubin winning about 10 rounds to two. Mm. Um, but yeah, as you said, let's not dwell too much on that one bad scorecard when the real story is a good performance and a good win for hitchens um if i thought this was a close call coming in then i think that means he exceeded my expectations he's really fast when he had his jab going mendez was just stuck on the end of it you can see the floyd mayweather influence at times with hitchens he has some of those boxing moves and you know mendez is a clever fighter you could see it in there as he looked for counters and openings he knows what he's doing in there but he just couldn't keep up on an athletic level with Hitchens. The fight reminded me of, I'll dip into the memory bank a bit here, 1998, Zab Judah versus Mickey Ward. Mickey had a few moments, hurt Zab with a body shot at one point, but for the most part, Judah was just too young and fast, and the slower guy couldn't get much done. Mendez came on a bit late here. Uh, The rounds I did give him were all toward the end of the fight, but Mm -hmm. by then it didn't matter unless you were Don Ackerman Um, (laughs) sort of a funny moment worth noting in round nine, when Hitchens got warned for hitting on the break and then got a second warning for mouthing (laughs) off to the ref by insisting you didn't say break, uh, which was true. Uh, I don't think Hitchens meant it as a smart, smart aleck comment, but it did kind of come off that way. Uh, I thought the ref was going to send him to timeout. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, bottom line, good win for Hitchens. Small step forward. I still wouldn't quite declare him a blue chip prospect, but I think his stock went up ever so slightly here. And on most cards he fights on, Hitchens will be the fastest handed boxer on the show. Not this one, as in the main event, Chris Colbert outshone him and looked even quicker. His opponent, Jaime Arboleda, gave the neon pink haired Colbert a fight and (laughs) brought the pressure. But Colbert stood in the pocket in spots and traded. This fight had some sensational exchanges. And despite not generally being recognized as much of a puncher, Colbert dropped Arboleda at the end of the ninth and twice in the 11th, forcing referee Steve Willis to call a halt to the contest at 137 of the penultimate round. With the win, Colbert climbs to 15-0 with 6 KOs, while Arboleda falls to 16-2 with 13 KOs. Kieran, we talked about how Colbert's previous fight was a dull decision win. Was the most important thing for Colbert not just the fact that he won, but the way in which he won— how good of a performance was this for the young New Yorker in your view? In short, Kieran, give me the Colbert report. See what ah,
1: I did there? Very good, very good. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know what? How, how many times do we preview uh, these contests, especially with these up-and-coming guys, and say, we really want a statement win from this kid? Mm-hmm. This was a statement win, yep. I thought. Um, you know, I, you know, Arboleda, it felt like a step up. Uh, but Colbert completely separated himself from him. Um. Even though Arboleda was competitive in a lot of rounds and threw a ton of punches, Colbert arguably won every round, except maybe one and the one in which he had a point deduction. Um, Arboleda was busier. Colbert was more efficient and accurate by some distance. You know, and what I liked about his performance on Saturday... Firstly, was what I've liked about him before Saturday. His balance is tremendous. His yeah. compactness is a thing of beauty. Uh, he's superbly efficient with his punching. But the other thing that I really liked is what you already alluded to the way in which he, at times, just dug his toes in and stood in the pocket and fought Arboleda. Um, you know, we mentioned last week that, you know, Arboleda was probably going to be the more aggressive guy, but that he sometimes looped his punches a little bit. And and Colbert was obviously confident enough in his ability to land the faster, straighter punches in between Arboladers. But that's why he was happy to stand there and, and throw. And, yeah, and what I liked also was he wasn't solely aiming to land counters. That by the end, he was the one who was really loading up. Mm. Uh, he was actually walking forward and, and really hurling some power punches, especially in that 11th round when he had him very badly hurt. Um, Look, like we said last week that... Even with just five KOs going into this, there was plenty of evidence that Colbert could punch, but he generally didn't put himself in a position to maximize his punch power. He didn't plant his feet enough when he when he was throwing his punches, but he did in this fight. And maybe this was a one off because it just worked really well with the opponent. Or maybe he decided to do it because he wanted to make that statement. But, you know, he talked about the fact that he felt like he was getting his man strength now. And if this is a new development, if he's willing, especially when up against the right opponent to to dig his toes in a little bit and put his weight behind his punches while still maintaining that balance, still maintaining that speed. I think it's a really important added element to his game. And I think it, it marks him down as a potentially very interesting guy to watch uh, at 130 and 135 because he's a charismatic guy, too. Yeah, um, And also, by the way, on a personal level, I thought full credit for the socially aware messaging on the trunks, um, both against both breast cancer and police brutality uh full credit to him for doing that as well but this was what i was looking for for chris colbert i i've Mm -hmm. liked what i've seen of him before but i actually loved what i saw of him on saturday
0: yeah for the most part i did as well i mean he showed you that at his best he is one of the top up and comers in the sport i do still feel like he needs to get more consistent there were Mm -hmm. lulls um he he Seems like he, frankly, kind of gets overconfident in there and, and uh, gives parts of rounds away and, uh, you know, decides to do Roy Jones or Nasim Ahmed impressions, which right. are, are entertaining to an extent. But, you know, in the when he steps up to the top level, you, you want to see him be a little more consistent. He also spends long stretches with his back to the ropes, um, although I think, you know, that's very intentional and strategic. He's obviously trying to set Arbaleda up for a big counter shot when he did that. You know, whatever small criticisms I might have. Boy, did he deliver in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. And round nine was a round of the year contender. Yeah. This, this was really fun. Um, if I still ate chicken, I would try Chris Colbert's primetime chicken right about
1: now. <laughs> Uh, one result of Colbert's stoppage win is that you actually slightly increased your your lead in the picks competition. Uh, neither of us gained any points from Elis Korobov. Uh, we were both robbed by Don Ackerman of maximum points in <laughs> Hitchens-Mendez. Right. So we each got two there. But you got two points from Colbert Arboleda while I got one. So entering the final round, your lead stands at an extremely vulnerable and tenuous <laughs> Sixty-three to fifty-two.
0: Yeah. Now, did, did you did you see uh, the tweet that we got from Enoch Marchant <laughs> I, late Saturday I, I, night? Yeah. I so. am
1: physically incapable of growing my hair. I mean, I could dye it, but I just don't <laughs> think. I'd... Beyond that i just yeah, i don't think i'm capable of doing that the tweet was that the loser of the pigs competition should adopt the chris colbert hairstyle yeah. the, the funny thing is of course it's sunday he probably already has a very different hairstyle
0: he changes <laughs> that's true he, he might already but i was gonna say that as i hold an 11 point lead i'm i'm in if you are but uh, <laughs> it's really it's really you who has the decision to make here uh, with oh, with that one oh. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, There's still a week to go, damn
1: it. And coming (laughs) up, we will look ahead to the final Showtime Boxing Card of the Year and see if there is any conceivable way I can close that gap. Uh, But first, we are coming to that time of the year. You mentioned possible round of the year uh, contender in Colbert Arbelader. You, You mentioned Clay Collard earlier. It is that time of the year when writers and fans start thinking about their boxing awards and our guest this week has to be among the favorites for trainer of the year at the end of september his junior middleweight champ jamel charlo unified several belts by knocking out jason rosario and just last week errol spence rebounded from a frightening looking car crash last year to look just as strong as ever as he outpointed danny garcia to retain his welterweight titles yes joining us for the second time in 2020 it is of course derek james derek thank you so much for returning to the showtime boxing podcast
2: Thank
1: you for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure. Um. So, look, first of all, congratulations on Errol's win last week. Um. Uh, you know, going in, when we were looking at it, we figured it really felt as if the dominant battle was going to be Errol's southpaw jab against Danny's left hook, and that southpaw jab won comfortably. Uh, Danny admitted afterwards he just couldn't get his hook going. How were you guys able to control the fight like that, and what makes Errol's jab such an effective weapon?
2: Well, I do that. From, from the boxing perspective, I think that the jab is the most influential punch you can throw, meaning that it has so many jobs, so many roles, it does so many different things, and it, it, it creates distance, it sets up a punch, it can it, um, keeps the guy occupied, and at the same time, it's like um it's the fastest punch you can throw, the easiest punch you can throw, it's the hardest punch to block. And so that's what you saw last week.
1: But he is able to do it, so not everybody is able to to really dominate a fight. I mean everything that Errol does seems to flow off of that jab so well, which not that many fighters you you, you see are able to do that quite as effectively as he is.
2: It's because of boxing like he's he's actually boxing. People mm. may say he's a banger no he's a boxer. Mm. he use the jab. If you watch boxing, no matter who it is, I no matter how great the guys are. by the third round. Nobody's throwing the jab. They're throwing all combinations: right hooks, left hooks. And beat. you know, so it's like they get away from that. But his level of consistency mm-hmm. is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and he acknowledges. So he present openly acknowledged that was working for him. You know what I'm mm-hmm. We we focus on that. We practice on that. That was a key element to to the, to the victory. All right.
0: So when we spoke to you several months ago, uh, not too long after Errol's accident, it seemed like your ideal scenario would have been having a relatively low-key fight first before taking on someone as potentially threatening as Danny Garcia. Was Errol the one who insisted on, on going straight into the Garcia fight? A- and how surprised were you at the level at which Errol was able to perform?
2: Well, I mean, I, I, I always said that I don't interject my personal feelings into it, so I didn't really Whoever he took, that's who I'm with. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. You know, so I wasn't, it wasn't so much about me having a choice or option in there. We would talk about it, sit down and talk about it, but it's really more him because of his career. Then what mm-hmm. happens is it, it falls back on me to say, and I have to push it. I have to still on my p's and q's. I have to focus on everything. Anything he's doing wrong, I have to be open and tell him. I mean, we were talking. It was funny. Like it's like maybe two weeks before the fight, and it's like. 12 something and I called him and I said that I told him a couple of things I feel like I think he think he did great on I think we need to change one thing in particular this or that he said to me he said man, it's almost one o'clock we like this was you' thinking about <laughs> yeah man, it's my job like, it's, my, it's like my job I, I have to tell you today and not tomorrow like <clears> you want to be you want to you want to and so the and the, we We came in the gym. So the next day was Sunday. He came in the gym and he immediately, because we don't work on Sunday. He said, Hey, are you going to be there today? I'm like, Yeah, I'll be there. He said, Okay. And he he came in. First thing he did was work on immediately what I told him. I said, I think we should be able to work on. (laughs) He's like, That's just the type of guy and work ethic that he has. and, And the comfort I believe that he has in me and my comp and what I say to him. It's something that I believe, like, it's, it's, like, it's phenomenal because I mentioned it to him, and he he obviously had to acknowledge it because he came in the next day and worked on it. Right, I think that right. that's just the type of relationship that we have that my job is to see it, and I can't, and, and from a personal perspective, I can't let it go.
0: Right.
2: I can't let it go until we get it correct.
0: Right. And 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 one thing you had to be sort of looking for in the gym was just to see, you know, is my guy fully recovered from this accident? Is there anything slowing him down here? Uh, based on the any of the any any physical damage that might have been done in that accident, from the outside looking in, a lot of people were concerned uh, about that. Would he be the same er- Errol Spence uh, during the whole build up to the fight? Were there ever any moments where you were concerned, or did you know from the moment he returned to the gym, I, this is still Errol Spence here? He's he's fine.
2: I mean, you never really know about it, but at the same time, you got to kind of, um, you want to kind of, you know, you, you never really know. But mm. you know that the person that you knew before is still in there. You just got to kind of, you know, find it and remind him of who he is and who he was and kind of, you know, just kind of um, mm. keep reminding him every day. Keep reminding him every day. Like, from the first day he sparred, and I had a conversation with Randy Spark. He looked phenomenal. He did great. He, he went ten rounds the first day after a year not being in the ring. And then I said to him, I said, um, I said, I didn't care how you look today. I said because I just wanted to see the reaction and how you felt in the ring, how comfortable you were. I said, because I know the fighter you are, your work ethic, that you're going to work so hard to be the guy that we everybody remembers. So I didn't even care. I, I, I didn't care. Right. I just care. I wanted to see how he took the punches, how and how 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 familiar he felt back to be back in the ring. Mm-hmm. That's all I cared about. Right. So once 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 I saw that, I he he's had a phenomenal work ethic. Like I said, I called him that night. He came in on Sunday. So right. like so we worked like the last three weeks. We probably worked seven days a week because it's like you you want to get it. You want to be perfect. You want to be who you want to be. And that's, right. and that's really what it was. He wanted to be who he wanted to be, and that's what. And that's really what we we saw as the individual that he really wanted to be, and who he's working to be and to be better.
1: Um. So after Saturday, it feels as if he's almost cleaned out the top of the welterweight division. There are two very obvious opponents, sort of looming for him: uh, Manny Pacquiao with right. Terrence Crawford. If you had a choice. Which one of those would you prefer right now, and how likely do you think either or both of them might be next year?
2: I I still play the role of not interjecting my personal feelings or my thoughts, even though you asked me. But, I mean, I think that I want whoever he wants, and I'll say that every time because whoever he wants to fight, that's who I want him to fight. I mean, I think that if he has a feeling for, you know, one one of those guys, Crawford, or if he has a feeling for Pacquiao, that's who I want. I mean, because I do... I do my best not to get so emotionally attached to the actual idea of beating one guy in particular, because I feel like he would beat both of them. Just sign it up, right. you know, sign the contract. And so I think that. So for me, it doesn't really matter. Either one, doesn't matter.
1: Did Does he ever come to you when there's some options to go coach? What do you think about like different options, or is it basically a you know, hey, I'm gonna fight this guy. Let's get ready for this guy.
2: No, he'll, 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 and really he'll be like, what do you think about this? And I'll right. tell him what I think about it, you know. Because I'm all, I mean, like, I have to kind of like think about it either way to where I think about it, I said I idea about either one of the guys, regardless mm-hmm. if he said it to me or not. So when he comes to me with an idea, I already have a plan. Okay, <laughs> I think yeah, you can fight him like this, you can do this, you can do that. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, because you always kind of, you can't be caught by surprise about a situation with something that's so, you know, it's just career. Yeah. If he wants to, you know, go a particular direction, I have to be like, okay, that's good. Or, you know, I don't know about that. But I have to be educated to the fact that the idea what he's going to ask me.
0: Right. Uh, so, so changing gears to talk about your other champion. Uh, we're, we're a couple of months removed from Jamel Charlo scoring a stoppage win over a dangerous opponent when he knocked out Jason Rosario in the eighth round of their 154-pound unification bout. Um, first, I have to ask you about the stoppage itself. I've never seen a knockout quite like it in which one boxer sent another into convulsions with a, a solar plexus shot. Tell us about the that shot, was it something you were building toward, or, or were you as surprised as us by the way that Rosario reacted to it?
2: I think I was just as surprised by the way he reacted because he, I mean, he hit him with a shot and he hit him with several shots. I think that that was just the reaction of his body breaking down because, I mean, there's no mm-hmm. true justification for that. I, I talked to one of my friends at the doctor. He said that that's what happens in the body, when it goes for like, um, he said, like, 10 to 20 seconds without breathing. Mm. So that it starts to react to that. And that's how it starts to react. And I think that's what it was. He said they they, they generally pass out, you know, because he caught him probably when he was breathing or exhaling and inhaling. And he, he, did, he didn't because he was focused on the jab that he threw to the head. So the body shot caught him. and It was kind of like um, really he wasn't expecting it.
0: Right. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: So, I mean, I think
0: that was the reaction. I
1: never came to be like that before, ever. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was definitely something else. Um, you know, like we said, if it feels as if Errol's really got a couple of major opponents at 47, Jamel's got a lot of, to choose from at, at 54. Has he expressed right. to you how important it is for him to win the one title belt that he doesn't yet have? Is Are you guys looking at that Patrick Teixeira, Brian Castanio Winner, or would you like to go sooner than that against somebody?
2: I think that I mean I I, mean, I don't know anything. We I just talked to Jamal earlier today, and but we haven't talked we didn't talk about opponents or you know his ideas. I mean I think that he would probably want to unify the whole deal, I mean mm-hmm. or become undisputed. But if that's not the case, he can't get that fight. I think that there's so many other guys we can fight against. I mean there's mm-hmm. so many. Other guys that are number one contenders, I mean, um, and so we'll just, I mean, I think the heat will just be open for whatever, mm-hmm. and we'll just have to start getting prepared for whoever it is and whatever it is. All
0: right, well, last thing, uh, Derek, you, you worked the corner for Jermel in a, an almost totally empty arena, and for Errol in an arena with 16,000 fans spread out. As a trainer, is there a big difference? Uh, are, are there... Th- things you have to do differently to, to motivate or instruct your fighter when there are no fans uh, as compared to what you're used to <laughs> with fans in the building?
2: You know, it's funny. I talked to Jamel about that today. And he's like, I heard everything you said. <laughs> he said, I heard everything you said in the corner. He said, now when Errol fight him, he so, said, my voice is gone. So he's like, <laughs> so it's kind of like, if, so you get like the, when there's nobody in there, you can hear everything you say. When it's a <laughs> right. house for the house full of people, crowded, he's like, I'm, I don't have a voice. I can't so, say anything. And so for me, I even knew that. So I, I just waited to the corner to uh, instruct, you know, because right. it's kind of diff- difficult to uh, do it when uh, you're in a fight and there's so many people. But I think that the energy from the fans it feeds you. Right. Yeah. And it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty the energy from the fan, the atmosphere, and especially the home crowd. I think being in front of the home crowd advantage. So it's a beautiful thing. I think that I like that probably more. Yeah.
0: Well, one, one thing about Jer- Jermel being able to hear you clearly, uh, everything you're saying, you also have to be a little conscious, I guess, of the fact that the opposing fighter and his trainers can but, hear you yeah. also. Is Was that something you were That's conscious mean. of uh, during that fight when you're yelling mm-hmm. out instructions?
2: Well, probably because he spoke Spanish. He didn't understand much. Ah, so that <laughs> there you like, go. <laughs> that, 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 well, we, we may not always have that scenario, but that was that one particular time and that was the case. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And so, yeah, so that one, can we spell Spanish? Yeah. Is
1: it something, but if it were a different situation, would you sort of have to be cognizant of that? Or do you yeah, just, would you just focus it. on yeah. your
2: guy? Yeah, I would have to code what I was saying, you know. Mm, I would right. have to co- I'd have to code it. Like, say, you'd have to say something. And everything I said is kind of coded anyway. It's not like you'd have to be there. Or me, I have to explain it to you for mm. so you to know what I'm talking about.
0: Oh, yeah. Right, you and you and your fighter yeah, yeah. have a have a bit of a shorthand, anyway. I assume.
2: Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's all about the way I describe it to them, and it's really different from each one of them. I say something different to each one of them, so even right. if they end up sparring, I'm not. They know what I'm telling them, and it's not to the other. They don't know that the other guy doesn't know is different. You know, I break it up as different.
1: Got you. Yeah. Right. Derek, um congratulations again for both Jamel's win and Errol's win. Congratulations for the year you've had. Uh thank you for joining us again. Enjoy the holidays, stay safe, stay well, and hopefully you'll be able to join us again in twenty twenty one.
2: Hey, listen, thank you. And I hope that the same success continues. And I wish you all a very happy holidays and then great twenty twenty one.
0: Thanks so much, much Derek. Derek. Great talking to you.
2: Thank you. Good talking to you as well. Thank you
1: all right looking ahead now and this saturday showtime boxing special edition returns for the final showtime card of the year and while everyone at showtime i think deserves a ton of credit for putting together a really strong slate of cards during the pandemic covid has inflicted plenty of mischief on this final one uh what was originally a mouthwatering bantamweight main event of nanito denair against nordine ubali fell out when ubali tested positive for coronavirus but there was immediately a very strong plan b as ubali was replaced by emmanuel rodriguez of puerto rico whose only professional defeat came at the hands of noya in no but then last week doner also tested positive and he's not happy about it uh, tweeting over the weekend about what he says were mistakes in the testing paperwork and protocols stating that he himself paid for a confirmatory test which came up negative um, his positive test, he asserts, was a false one. As a consequence, he's working to stay on weight. He's staying ready. Uh, feels like he should be reinstated to the main event. But uh, for now, he is out. His replacement is fellow Filipino, Raymond Gaballo, who had originally been lined up for another fight on the card. Gaballo uh, is 24 years old and unbeaten, but he's taken a big step up in class here against Rodriguez. So, Eric, what can you tell us about these two? And what is your prediction for the main
0: event? So serious fight fans should be familiar already with Manny Rodriguez. Uh, He was 19-0 and held a bantamweight belt, uh, as well as a win over Jason Maloney when he leapt up in class to face Naoya Inouye about a year and a half ago and got sawed in half by body shots in two rounds. (laughs) He hasn't fought since, so long inactivity here. He's now 19-1, 12 KOs, 28 years old, absolutely a world-class fighter and a serious body puncher. And I think he would have been roughly a coin flip with Donaire. Um, Mm. Meanwhile, Gabalio, as you said, is from the Philippines and only 24. Glistening record, 23-0, 20 KOs. But if you're looking for familiar names on that record, you won't find many. Maybe Stefan Young, who got squashed by Donaire in 2019. That's it. Uh, So this is an enormous step up for Gabalio, who is really a prospect, not yet a proven contender, but he has sparred with the likes of Inouye and Guillermo Rigondeau, so maybe the step-up is manageable. The question here, as I prepare to make my prediction, is what impact the layoff and losing so convincingly to Inoue will have on Rodriguez. If he can shake that off, as he should, it's the monster, it happens, uh, but if he can shake that off, and he isn't too rusty. He's the clear favorite here, in my view. Uh, As for Caballo, well, he clearly has power, although the guys he's knocked out were not top guys. I wanted to watch his fight with Stefan Young, which went the distance. I thought that might be telling to check that out, but the only video on YouTube is grainy footage from someone in the crowd, edited down to about three minutes of highlights. (laughs) So tough to tell too much, but my hunch is that Gaballo isn't as good as his record suggests, and this step up will be too much. Give me Rodriguez KO8. Kieran, what is your prediction for the main event, and what can you tell us about the co-main, which features the return of undefeated prospect Jaron Boots Ennis?
1: Yeah, look, Gaballo from the video that is more easily available and that is better shot, shows that he can hit like a damn mule. He's He's a very aggressive two-fisted boxer. He seems to be very open. However, um, when he when he does throw his punches, uh, I don't know that that's going to work well against an experienced guy like Rodriguez. The sensible thing to do from a purely strategic point of view here is to take the exact opposite of all your picks here, yeah. because I might as well get blown out by, you know, 20 points as is, is, is 11. But... There's there's an element of self-pride here. It's hard to believe. <laughs> it's hard to believe. I looking didn't at know you course. had any of that. Uh, I know. I know. Uh, and so I, I guess I could see a scenario that maybe Gabalio is just that powerful and that good and that he overwhelms Rodriguez early. But I think the more likely scenario is that Rodriguez uh, soaks it up uh, and then comes back and knocks out Gabalio. But uh, screw it. Just for a difference. I'll pick KO9. Or Rodriguez. There you go. Radical difference. <laughs> um, as for the co-main, it's yet another fight that's been disrupted by COVID. Jeron uh, Ennis was originally slated to fight Thomas DeLorme until DeLorme tested positive. Uh, but Chris Van Heerden's a very good substitute. And this is also itself a bit of a step up here for Ennis. Uh, Van Heerden's 28-2-1. Uh, his last defeat was in 2015 when he took on a then-rising Errol Spence Jr., who dropped him twice and stopped him. Um, those are the only times Van Heerden's been off his feet. The only time he's been stopped, but he hasn't been very active since then. Just five fights in the last five years, none in the last 16 months. And we talked earlier about, you know, Korobov's body falling apart. Van Heerden's skin is beginning to fail him. He swells up. He bleeds. Uh, like Korobov, he's 33 and he looks like he's about 50. Um, he has also been cut over his eyes in his last two fights i think that will ultimately be decisive here and is stepping up but i also think he's a level above van heerden i think we'll see him you know he'll probably have to work some stuff out uh you know maybe a little tough early on but i see him gradually turning the screw asserting himself cutting van heerden and actually stopping him standing up in round nine eric what do you think about that and also, what can you tell us about the brand new opener, which pits undefeated Featherweight and brother of Mr. Gary Russell Jr., <laughs> Gary Antonio Russell,
0: against veteran Juan Carlos Payano? Uh, so, yeah, to get to my pick quickly for the Ennis Van Heerden fight, nothing against Van Heerden, but this is Boots Ennis we're talking about. Uh, yeah. The same Boots Ennis who was described by Breadman Edwards as. Roy Jones mixed with Sugar A. Robinson, mixed with Henry Armstrong, <laughs> bitten by a radioactive spider. I, I, I think that's what Bradman said, right? Exactly. Something like that? Yeah. For... Okay. So, yeah, Boots is pretty much that good, in my opinion. So, short and sweet here with my pick. Van Heerden, as you said, swells up. He cuts. He isn't hard to find. I'll say it happens a little faster than uh, your prediction. I'll go Boots KO5. Uh, mm. As for Gary Antonio Russell versus Juan Carlos Piano, two southpaws here. Uh, Russell is 17-0, 12 KOs, 27 years old, hasn't faced a test yet at all. Paiano is at a very different point in his career, 21-4, 9 KOs, 36 years old, a former titleist at 118 pounds who has tangled with the likes of Inoue, Luis Neri, Danny Roman, and Roche Warren. We know what to expect with Paiano, who gave Danny Roman a very close fight on the Charlo pay per view less than three months ago. Paiano was actually supposed to fight Raymart Gabayo over the summer, mm-hmm. uh, so he's getting a different untested prospect here. Russell is the question mark, hasn't fought anyone world class. He's coming off a 10 month layoff and truly tragic news here we learned that just this past wednesday his younger brother gary d russell died Uh, we don't know anything about cause of death all we know is it's a very fresh wound and gary antonio plans to fight and i can't begin to guess how that will affect him in the ring um i'll make my pick but uh boy it's it's a really tricky one I, i just don't know Russell has those same athletic gifts that seem to run in his family. um, But I feel more comfortable here picking what I know, which is Paiano, who is clearly still fighting at a high level based on the Roman fight. I'm glad the picks competition probably isn't coming down to this one fight because I really feel like I'm throwing darts at a dartboard on this one. I'll say Paiano by split decision. You? Well, I agree with you that it's just impossible –
1: First of all, condolences to the entire family. Mm -hmm. We love Gary Russell Jr. Um, You know, and and they're clearly a very close-knit family um, over the loss of his brother. We don't know how that could affect him. It could just throw him off, or as we have seen, it could completely inspire him. Um, We simply just don't know. Um, Piano, like you said, we know who he is, we know what he brings, but what he has been bringing lately has been just enough to lose. Right. Oh gosh, I'm 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 the same as you in terms of not knowing, and partly because of this big question mark, not just over Russell generally, but given his specific situation, uh, there's nothing to be lost here in going in the completely different direction. I think that Piano, who has felt aggrieved with some of his losses, will feel aggrieved again. But he'll lose a unanimous decision to Russell. Russell by unanimous decision.
0: All right. Well, if I'm tallying things correctly in my mind, that means you cannot quite possibly catch me, even if you nail every single prediction exactly. Um, I will let you know that if I'm doing the math right, my 11 point lead, you could make up three points over me by getting the exact round correct in each of the other two fights so that would be six that would put you within five and the only way to get the full five is to predict a knockout and get the round right so if you want to amend your pick now just to give yourself a chance at a tie i'll open the floor for you to change it from russell unanimous decision to russell by ko in some round of your choosing up to you you know well Screw professional pride. <laughs> That's what I thought you'd say. That lasted all of what? How long was
1: that segment? Seven minutes? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Let's make it a late start It's
0: KO 10. KO 10. All right. So officially, as we enter the final week, Mulvaney is alive with a chance at a tie. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, that Showtime card is not the only action taking place this week. On Thursday, Ring City USA's third and final card of the year is headlined by Charles Conwell against Mayar Ashkeev in 10-round junior middleweight action on NBCSN. On Friday, Gilberto Zerdo ramirez takes on Alfonso Lopez over 12 light heavyweight rounds. But there's no doubt what the cards worth focusing on are a pair of major fight cards, both on DAZN. On Friday, Gennady Golovkin makes his first in-ring appearance since scraping past Sergei Derevyanchenko when he defends his middleweight belt against Camille Zaramata. And the following day, his arch-rival Canelo Alvarez returns when he takes on Callum Smith for a pair of super middleweight titles and presumably the top spot in that 168-pound division. Kieran, between Canelo and Golovkin, who has more at stake here? And is there a circumstance under which this pair of fights makes a third Golovkin-Canelo bout more or less likely.
1: So, I, I guess strictly in terms of absolute amounts of dollars, Canelo is the one always with more to lose because the amounts of dollars that he is capable of earning are substantially greater than anybody right. else. Um, so, in that sense, um, you know, the fact that he's apparently getting a fifteen million dollar payday, which is half of what he had been getting, gives you, uh, you know, a sign of the sort of potential that he has to lose. If he were to lose to Callum Smith, he's still going to earn a lot of money from a, from a rematch with Callum Smith. He's still going to be one of the biggest draws, but he's probably going to lose a little bit of money. He's going to lose some of his bargaining power at a time when he's a free agent, who's looking to, you know, try and get the best deals for himself going forward in the final part of his career. But he's still going to be Canelo Alvarez, but just with a little spice going into his next fight as to whether he can, he can regain, um, you know his position atop the sport somewhat Gennady Golovkin if he loses to Camille Zaramata after a fight in which quite a few people felt that he had already lost right uh, after a few years in which notwithstanding those two phenomenal fights with Canelo there was a sense that he was already past his peak he really drops out of the equation um the whole like cost-benefit situation reverts much more back to the cost, um, in that there's less of a benefit now from fighting and potentially beating Gennady Golovkin because he will have lost to Camille Zaramada. He may have lost to Sergei Derevyanchenko, but just, you know, got the win on the scorecards. Suddenly Golovkin's gonna find it hard, if not impossible, to get that big fight that he wants. You know, there was always that there was that period for a while. Um, where uh, Abel Sanchez was insisting when Gennady wasn't looking that great that he was doing it deliberately to get the big fight with Canelo. Uh, Not looking great, I don't think, is the way to get that third fight with Canelo. He's got to look really good. Golovkin has to beat uh, Camille Zaramada. If he looks impressive when he beats Camille Zaramada and Canelo wins against uh, Callum Smith, I actually think... I had thought for a long time that this fight was over, the third fight. But I wonder, given the very specific peculiarities of Canelo's present contract status, whether a good Golovkin win might actually make that third fight more likely. Because the zone, it's not that he don't want to pay Canelo $30 million a fight. They don't want to pay him $30 million for Callum Smith. Right. They might pay him $30 million for a third Gennady Golovkin fight because that's the reason that they they signed the two of them in the first place. So I think if Golovkin has a really impressive win against Saramata again, we might actually see Canelo-Golovkin three next before Canelo then goes off uh, to to find some kind of free agent deal. But So both potentially have a lot to lose. Money-wise, Canelo has a lot to lose by losing if, if he falls short against Callum Smith. Golovkin almost has everything to lose if he loses against Camille Zaramata. And I do think he needs to win impressively if we are to see Canelo Golovkin three. But both those guys are going to enter the ring as favorites. But I'm curious as to what kind of odds, if any, you're seeing um, what looks like a particularly good bet. And, you know, we talked about who might lose the most if they do fall short. Who do you think is most likely to fall short? Who is the most likely to suffer an upset here?
0: So there are odds out there on both of these fights. Uh, Golovkin is a way bigger favorite in his. He is minus risk, dollars If you want to risk, hey. yeah, <laughs> risk $25 to win a dollar,
2: <laughs>
0: be my guest. Uh, the best price I'm seeing on Zaramata is plus a thousand, So That means 10 to 1. If you think Triple G is totally washed, maybe that's worth a shot, but... I don't know. To me, even at 10 to 1, I don't see any real value there. It's the Canelo-Smith fight that has some interesting betting options. Prices vary a bit from sportsbook to sportsbook. The best I'm seeing on Canelo is minus 450, and the best I'm seeing on Smith is plus 425. I think Smith has a real chance here. Plus 425, that, that's not bad value, except can he win in North America? In Texas, specifically, Mm. you know, how clearly does Smith have to win to actually get the win? Uh, Boxing betting, you know, it it has that extra factor to consider. Like, uh, imagine if you bet on an NFL game, but the score was a mystery throughout the game. Uh, (laughs) a, A touchdown is supposed to be worth six points, but... Sometimes it's five, and sometimes it's seven, and it's up and to Sometimes the... we actually give the other
1: guys a touchdown.
0: Right, right. Sometimes <laughs> the other team gets credit for the touchdown. It's it's all up to the head ref to decide, and you don't know what he decides until the game is over. And, you know, same thing with field goals. They're worth three points, except when they aren't. And, uh, and so, wouldn't you know, more often than not, the score at the end of the game is uh, tilted toward <laughs> the home team. That's the risk in picking and betting on Callum Smith here. If the judges were Steve Weisfeld... Steve Farhood and (laughs) a clone of Steve Weisfeld. Uh, And the ref was uh, Steve Willis. Yeah, let's go nothing but Steve's. Uh, If it was all people I could trust and I know officiate without bias, I would say then that plus 425 is a great price on Smith. IRL, I'm not sure. I might stay away. Uh, There are some other betting options worth touching on quickly, though. A draw at 22 to 1. You know, that's one way that judges Mm -hmm. might go if Smith seems to narrowly deserve the win. Sometimes Canelo escapes with a draw. It has happened. Um, Or Canelo, specifically by decision, pays plus 195. Uh, Specifically by knockout for Canelo, that's minus 115. Those are both Mm -hmm. worth considering, I think. Um, Or I kind of like plus 150 on the fight to go the distance. Doesn't matter who wins. So... Mm -hmm. Lots of bets to consider, uh, and to answer your question of just who is more likely to get upset, definitely Canelo, based on those odds and and based on my own intuition. He's the one taking a risk here, while Triple G is effectively taking a tune-up. Yeah, I do
1: like, like both those, Canelo by decision and go in the distance those are both pretty good odds i think
0: all right there you go looks like uh karen's gonna uh put a few he's bucks gone. on the line now all right gone. he's just gonna talk about it think about it exactly talk's and... <laughs> a good game that's right. it. that's
1: in in boxing betting as in life <laughs> <laughs> all right that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin Amolvany. We will be back next week as we look back on the Showtime and The Zone cards. I curse the fact that I didn't put a bet down on either of the odds that Eric just gave me. Uh, we will also look at next week's announcement of the Boxing Hall of Fame's 2021 class. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.